I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The process changes every time. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to help inspire more people to discover and love the arts. There's no one way, I think, to create music. This week, we're chatting with young creatives from our Young Poets and Young Visual Arts group programmes about making art for their showcase. There's 39 young people on these Barbican Young Creative programmes, which supports visual artists and poets. I really like it when um, you finish performing and you can see that their brain is just like fizzing with the things that you've said. It's open to any young artists and poets who are passionate about developing their skills alongside other young people. Hi, I'm Lucine. I am a transdisciplinary artist with a focus in music, film, movement and sculpture and a lot of a lot of other stuff. I don't know that I'm trying to achieve anything per se, but I do believe that my purpose is grounded in really putting the human back in humanity and helping people feel less alone. Hi, I'm Iwana, I run Art Design UK and I'm a creative programmer and arts facilitator. I work with galleries, not-for-profit, as well as community groups. And if someone listening to this wanted to find out a little bit more about what you do, where could they find you? So they can find me on Instagram at Art Design UK, where I demonstrate pretty much every day sort of like bits of creativity and how to use DIY as a tool for mindfulness. My name's Rachel Cleverly and I'm a poet and a producer. I think with my poetry hat, I do a lot of writing about things that are kind of uncomfortable, but quite funny. Right now I'm writing a pamphlet that's about skin and itching, which is like my favorite topic. And, And I also think that my work is quite weird and quite specific. And I just really like having people say to me like, oh, I completely get that or I see myself in that or like, oh, why didn't the character do this? I am a poet and a multidisciplinary artist. So you can find me on bellacox.com or I'm also on all the social media platforms as bellacox19. My work spans poetry, prose, theater and music. Before the global pandemic, um, I was performing quite regularly. I performed at festivals by Pride UK. Um, Anywhere that will have me, I will perform. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you for those introductions. So Bella and Rachel, you're in the Poets Corner. Um, So you're part of the Barbican's Young Poets Group. Mm -hmm. How would you describe 
the program? We're a group of about 20-ish poets and we get together once a fortnight and do a lot of writing, we do a lot of editing, we do a lot of reading and just kind of generally talking poetry. I think that this year there's been like a really big focus on looking at kind of structure and form in poetry, which is something Mm -hmm. that I haven't done loads before, but it's been really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree. And we have the wonderful Jacob Samler Rose and Rachel Long who give us beautiful lectures on the weird and wonderful aspects of poetry that we maybe weren't aware of before. I, I refer to the Barbican Young Poets course as like a, a degree in poetry because it really does go quite in depth. What might you have learned that you might not have come across had you not done this course? Just give me some examples. For me, I found it really interesting seeing what other people value in my work and what they don't. Like a lot of the time you think this line is the best line I've ever written and then the end of the poem's awful. And then you show it to someone and they're like, the end of the poem is the best thing that I've ever read. And that line that you really liked, that's horrible. Please get rid of that and never read it again. So I think it's just really interesting to hear how your words have affected other people. I also think it's really cool that everyone on it is so confident. Um, which is something you don't normally anticipate with poets. Like they're, they're a very loud group. It's quite hard to get us a sharp, but that's really fun and really nice because I think writing such a kind of solitary thing generally that when you can go into a room of people who are just kind of screaming and shouting all their ideas, that's really nice. Yeah, you're right. You kind of associate a poet being an introvert, mm. but not on this course. You'd be very surprised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is there in any sense a kind of a theme that's running amongst you all or is it all very diverse? I think the power of it is that it's so diverse and that we're all so versatile. I think each year we've got a handful of people who are who are actors and poets, a handful of people who are musicians and poets, dancers and poets. You know, it's the combination that influences their work, our work. I think all of us are quite interested in identity, I suppose, but that's such a broad spectrum of a word. But no, I think we all come from such different backgrounds and we bring such a lovely, yeah, a smorgasbord of, yeah. of stuff. <laughs> Joanna and Lucine, you are on the Young Visual Arts Group. Can you describe that course to someone that might not know anything about it at all? This is my second year doing the Young Visual Arts Group. So I've done it before, but unfortunately there was a global pandemic, so we done it online so this year they invited me again to sort of experience everything in person so at the moment there's 16 of us all from very different fields of visual art and I think this is very exciting because there's curated there's artists there's performance artists installation artists so it's a very good mix again just like the poets I guess so yeah and we're working together for six months to put Um, an exhibition on show at the end of um, everything. So yeah, it's really, really exciting to be part of it. Lucine, how are you finding being on the course? Well, it's my second year also. So I feel like we're in a a good seat. (laughs) We've kind of been through it all before and it feels quite natural to kind of just get back into the swing of things, potentially taking a bit of a liberty in that (laughs) we've already experienced half of it. Uh, but it's been really nice. I think I'm really enjoying the opportunity to be in person because we didn't get that chance. Definitely. And to put on a physical exhibition in the Barbican is far different feat than an online <laughs> exhibition, even though that was just as stressful and complicated. I mean, the similar question, are there any themes that are emerging amongst you young artists? I think this year we were very interested in the idea of repair 
Um, last year, we sort of like explored Regenerate, which is really quite similar. However, I feel like repair, it's something quite current. What do you see as the benefits of the course, Joanna? I think for me personally, and I know that for a lot of people too, is this opportunity to work with people that have just so different practices than you than yours. Like for example, I'm I'm an arts facilitator, but I I got the opportunity to work with with artists and um, curators, and also uh, for example, Lucine, a visual sort of like artist that also includes so much more in her work. So it's very challenging but very rewarding because you learn a lot about art and, and yeah. Yeah, so art is not just one thing. I think that's what I learned throughout these two years. And yeah, it's just really, really amazing to be part of, of that community, I think. It, it, it's a great sense of belonging being there. And I guess, as I think Rachel or Bella were both saying, creating can be quite solitary. You can do a lot of work in the studio on your own or at home, in your kitchen, in your, in your bedroom, wherever you work, but you're quite often on your own, but not when you're on this course, presumably? In answer to your question, no, um, we're not as alone as we might usually be. And we're kind of put into situations of collaboration, which is quite generative, but also we kind of form a collective in support of each other as artists, as professionals, as humans. And actually what's really nice this year is that we've had more cross collaboration. So for instance, in December, I worked with Rachel and a couple other poets and Ioana worked with some other poets. We were basically grouped together to create a mini exhibition, which was surrounding our theme of repair as well. And so those opportunities to cross those disciplines, cross those boundaries and to actually, I guess, make make friends in art and develop your your own practice and yourself is is really rewarding. Are there any healthy conflicts ever amongst you as artists? I mean, do you have- <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, a hundred percent. There is healthy conflict. We even had a workshop on how to. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, be more confident in actually initiating a healthy conflict because you know, let's be honest, there is going that there are going to be so many opinions. Like you are working with sixteen people, which is quite unusual for for an exhibition. Usually, when people are putting a group show, you know, it's curated. It's you don't really interact with. The, people that are in in a group show as much as you do in this particular project so uh, there's going to be healthy conflict but I don't know what do you think Lucy? (laughs) I think we're in a unique situation because we we have a lot of roles and responsibilities to actually make the exhibition happen even though obviously the Barbican staff are here to support us and are doing all the legwork really we have to make a lot of decisions and so there's going to be conflict as you would working in any team it's no different to being in a corporate office or a name a restaurant there's you know <laughs> there's always something that unearths itself but also ultimately it's what's the benefit for the exhibition and i think where do our goals lie where do they where is their friction where is there not how do we come together in all of this basically what you said yeah i think you all agree that one of the the main challenges of being a working artist is making enough money to to live how well paid is poetry <laughs> If it's paid at all. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you don't make a lot in poetry um, in terms of selling your work. I think that I've actually earned money from probably like four or five poems throughout my whole kind of writing career. How have you earned that money? It was a mix of submissions, just applying for things, and then also having other people kind of message me and say, do you want to perform at this night? And I'll 
pay 50 quid for it kind of thing. But it is all kind of in the 50 pounds, 15 pounds kind of thing. But I mean, I personally was really keen to pursue poetry in any way that I could. So I actually now work at the Poetry Society as an education officer and I kind of produce an award for them and that's what pays my bills. So then it's quite conflicting when I tell people like, oh, poetry does pay my bills, but just not in the way that you'd think. I think there's definitely a lot more money around producing and programming, facilitating versus actually creating, because I think everybody's really keen to do that and everybody would love to do that full time. But that's kind of where it gets really competitive. Right. So there's money in facilitating or like you are working for a society, the Poetry Society. There's a tiny bit of money in performance mm. and a tiny bit of money in publishing, mm. getting your, your poems published. Is that is that a fair summary? I don't know. I mean, I think there's, it's kind of the Wild West in terms of being paid for performance because it really depends who's booking you. I think I agree with, with Rachel in that generally sort of on the poetry scene, if you're doing an open mic as a headliner or as a, as a guest, you're in the 50 pound to 100 pound mark. But I've also, I, I worked for um, a, a random sort of meteor in the <laughs> in the ball. Um, but I mean, th they paid sort of 3,000 pounds for a poem, which was insane. Um, never happened again, unfortunately. But, um, you know, there's, there's quite a large spectrum. And I think it really does depend where you are and who you're speaking to at the right time, I guess. And I think... I think the reason we all decided we wanted to speak about this on this podcast is that we want there to be a bit more communication about artists being paid for our work um, and that being important. And I personally think a union for poets, at least, would be really great just so that we've got an idea of, you know, what is the baseline? What should you be expecting for a performance? Because some performances, they'll give you a bag of crisps and 30 pounds. And, you know, should you be accepting that for a 20 minute set? Probably not. It's it's being valued for your work and your work yeah, being valued. There we go. Yeah. More specifically in the visual arts world, is there are there any solutions that you see for young people being able to make money or be supported in creating their work? Yeah, specifically with visual arts, there's a lot of I guess funds and pockets of, of finance out there in terms of being able to make a fully fledged career, that's a pretty different story. I guess it also depends what kind of career you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. the people you know. <laughs> I feel like when you're part of, when you got a gig with an institution or a gallery and um, you know you know someone there, it's, it's much easier and you know, it's meeting the right people, I think, which is very hard. It's a hard thing to say, but, but also that doesn't mean that, you know, that is, it is an inaccessible space, however, you do need to get that confidence to really go there and kind of, you know, I am this, I can do this, you know, just give me a chance or whatever. I think it's definitely a bit more lucrative because visual art is more translatable and like advertising, let's say, or, you know, I yeah, don't know. There's like space to use your skills in other remits, mm -hmm. which means that, yeah, you, you could technically say you're earning money for your, for your art and for your work, maybe not specifically like an artwork you create for a certain thing or a show, whatever. I was also going to say that... Um, I think this idea of valuing yourself or being valued is really important, especially because we're in an age where we have to market ourselves as a as an artist and be like our own team, which Definitely. is very different to I think back in the day when people like an artist would have found a salesperson and the salesperson was driving the sales for that portrait or whatever it is was going on that they needed the finance for. Whereas as an artist now you're sort of 
doing it all of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very DIY. Well, and you're expected to prom- promote yourself you now. You are. And I think one thing that I'm learning, especially because of YVAG, um, the Young Visual Arts Group, is that people will spend the money on you if you can like show that to be a valuable thing. You know, I've got a friend in our group who is making a custom denim jackets. And honestly, if I was thinking about that, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, sell it really low spectrum. She's like 700 quid for one. And I was like, do you know what? When you think about it and you break it down, the labor that you're having to put into this, it makes sense why you're charging that cost. Let alone the talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the, sure. The labour and the talent. You, you can't put a price on talent, no, arguably. <laughs> so I think looking at, starting to look at that, you know, um, our lead facilitator, Matt, has really helped me be open to that idea of actually, yes, it's really nice to be idealistic, but you've put hours into this. Like, look at that labour and consider that to be a part of the equation. Definitely. And also maybe just being an artist and being on social media, that takes loads of hours, like or creating all this content, creating this poem, creating this like visual art takes loads of time. And yeah, there's just so much time um, that has to be paid, you know, it's like that, I don't know, famous story about Picasso sitting in a pub or whatever, and he was like, squiggling something on a piece of paper and somebody was like oh I'll have that and he was like yeah it's like whatever money and he's like oh how can you charge something for that like as much and he was like well it took me 20 years to get to this level and I think it's the same with arts yeah there's a lot of time there's a lot of time maybe an illustration can take 15 minutes but you know all your uni (laughs) fees or your you know hard work that you had to put in that you just have to respect I think there's experience um, behind that doodle. Yeah. <laughs> so as part of the programme, you'll be exhibiting or performing some of your work at the Barbican on the 7th and the 8th of May. The Young Visual Arts Group exhibition is themed on the idea of repair. We've talked a little bit about that. Then there's the Barbican Young Poets Showcase on the 8th of May. Bella, you're going to be performing at the showcase can you just give us a little taster of, of one of the poems that you're going to be reading? Sure. This one's called Glint. You have become an axe in every poem I write. I had hoped to conjure you softer, warmer, golden hour, sweetened coffee, an open road or a smooth engine. I had hoped to sprinkle winks across pages for only you to decipher tint every line with glimpses of you. I had hoped that you were always so stubborn, weren't you? Preferred your words so much sharper than mine. Always did keep that curious glint in your eye that my chopping block heart blindly mistook for a twinkle. Gosh, your writing's so distracting. Yeah, it takes you elsewhere. Yeah, so tell me, what, what's that about? Uh, that's a breakup poem, because you wouldn't be a poet if you didn't have a breakup poem. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's basically about the, the pain and the, the yearning of, for a future that, that was cut short. Ioana and Lucine, there is a theme to your exhibition, um, Repair. I mean, it's it's a very broad concept, isn't it? It can mean lots of different things. So can you just give me an idea of the sort of work that it has inspired, perhaps from, you know, the, the work that is in, inspired in you, but, but in your colleagues' work as well? 
You're right. Repair is indeed very broad. Um, however, it's really interesting to see how people interpret it. So in the show, you'd be surprised to find a very, very large um, scope of, um, I think we have sound, installation, uh, more traditional painting, um, as well as um, kind of engaged practices, like socially engaged practices. And also what we're trying to do is a repair studio. So we're putting on a live program of events for the Saturday and Sunday, where you can come and explore the artworks through a series of workshops and guided discussions. We're actually describing this as, a, as an intervention more than an exhibition, so yeah. <laughs> and you personally, Lucy, what are you creating under this theme of repair? So I've opted to look at decolonization as a form of repair. And it took me a while to get to that choice, so to speak. I've been fortunate enough to not deal with as direct racism as other people have. But going through this process, it felt really important to look into decolonization. Firstly, because I was looking at my family tree and I have a lot of uh, relation to very prominent figures in the process of independence for uh, specifically West African countries. So um, one of my uncles is Kwame Nkrumah, who was the first president of Ghana. And he fought, you know, for that independence. But as you can already see, there's like so much that just kept revealing itself. And I just went deep into the rabbit hole. Um, I'm still quite deep in it and there's still so much more digging to do, but it's been my own personal process of repair, which is like the most interesting, I think, the thing that kind of to interact with. Not only am I looking at repair, I'm dealing and experiencing it myself. So as most of my art, this is for me and I'm really interested to see how it shows up. Tell me all of you individually, how easy is it to get your work ready in time? What are your tricks for disciplining yourselves and sitting down and getting the work done? Rachel. I need a deadline to finish anything ever. Um, so just having a date to perform and knowing that I want to produce something new is really helpful. Um, I'd say my biggest tip would just be read everything out loud and talk to as many people as you can about it because the more you have to articulate what you're gonna do, the more you'll kind of figure it out in your own brain. Agreed, a deadline is crucial. My tip for being ready for performance, I like to have my pieces memorized usually when I'm performing. Um, so a tip to try and memorize them is I will sing them in various different tunes and yeah and and then I feel more confident on stage usually if I've got it memorized. Honestly I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> in terms of a little trick for myself is I always work backwards so I start with you know I try not to be too attached necessarily to the final outcome it's really uh, something that I try not to have too much importance in because I am really much a perfectionist and so that's not really helpful for me, but at least if I know what I need. So, you know, by, we're in April, by like the second week of April, your sculpture needs to be finished. I don't know what it's gonna look like or what it's gonna be, but I know it needs to be done. So then what are the steps I need to take backwards to get there? Where am I today? And filling the middle and then follow it as best as I can. 
Good tip. Yeah. I'm backing Lucine when it comes to not thinking so much about the outcome because I think we live in this era of being such a you know perfectionist and everything has to be cutting edge and brilliant but also there is a vulnerability to really trusting the process really because I think you just discover so much in the process things that you never thought yeah so um, yeah trusting the process for sure and analyzing and questioning the process as well and the outcome is just you know the sort of like goodbye. <laughs> the Young Visual Arts Group exhibition is on Level G at the Barbican on the 7th and 8th of May. And the Barbican Young Poets Showcase is on the 8th of May in the Barbican Conservatory. Visit the Barbican website for more details. Thanks for listening to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to help inspire more people to discover and love the arts. The music you heard in this podcast was composed by Lucine and you heard Bella Cox reading Glint. Now, Rachel Cleverly, another young poet, is performing streaming. My biggest thrill is getting away from everyone I love and picking the scabs off my eczema. I've been a lot more leaky lately, and I can't stop crying. There's normally something else to blame it on, fungus pollen allergies, which I don't have, or loneliness, which I often do. I asked Jacob to describe me, We still haven't touched. He tried to kiss me on the roof at Tate Modern and I recoiled. Can a person really be dry-eyed? Not completely, like an egg before the mayonnaise. Like a hard-boiled egg, but furry? I managed to limit the scratching to Jacob's trips to the bathroom. We're in a vegetarian all-you-can-eat. I'm asking for a five-word portion. He thinks for an uncomfortable moment. And I match him on the pace of the eating. Cucumber for cucumber. Meatball for meatball. This podcast was produced by Henrietta Harrison for Loftus Media. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.